0: Ballers. Welcome back, we're Soccer Props, and it's game time. What's up, Lady Ballers? Welcome to another episode of the Soccer Pops Podcast. Guys, we have an amazing guest this week. Um, Jimmy Conrad, he played at UCLA. He played on the men's national team. He was the face of Kick TV for years, and now he's doing his own thing. And he's incredible. Follow him on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. This guy is more passionate about the game than ever. I think anyone we know, right?
1: And he is hilarious. He's been in our
0: Soccer Dad video also, and yes. he's a Soccer
1: Dad in life.
0: Yep.
1: He, could riff, he could riff on anything, and I would watch it because he's such an
2: entertaining person. So I think you guys are going to love this one. Yes. Enjoy. Enjoy! But before we start the podcast, Lady Ballers, we are on a mission to create the world's biggest virtual game with our Sell Out the Stadium charity event. Here's the deal. Do you remember when the U.S. won the World Cup victory over the Netherlands July 7th of last year? Well, there were 57,900 people in that packed-out stadium. So that's why this upcoming July 7th, we are trying to get 57,900 people, enough to fill fill a World Cup stadium, to play one hour of soccer in their own homes. All right, guys, we know this is a crazy goal,
0: but our... We're on this mission to raise money for four incredible charities. The first one, Black Lives Matter Global Network. The second is the Women's Sports Foundation. The third is No Kid Hungry. And the fourth is to write love on her arms. So we've already raised over $3,000, but we need your help, and we can't do this alone. Anyone who can sign up for free, but there's tiers to donate. So, for example, if you donate $30, you're going to get a sell-out-the-stadium T-shirt. And if you donate $75, you are going to get a T-shirt and a jersey. So, yeah. These gifts are awesome. <laughs> um, so all you have to do is sign up in the description um in the podcast and help us raise money for these great charities. Let's make history by playing the biggest virtual game and let's sell at the stadium. Let's sell at the
2: stadium. <laughs> Jimmy, what is up? We have missed you so much.
3: For me, the feeling's mutual. Since I moved away from New York City to the other side of the country, I have a void in my life, and that is soccer girl problems. I need more <laughs> of you guys in my life.
2: I know. We're seriously counting down the days until we can take a flight somewhere, and we really want to come over to the West Coast so badly.
3: No, it'd be fun. I think we should set up a pickup game tour. I know we've combined on maybe one or two before, but to do it in a more meaningful way, really get it out there and combine forces I think would be really neat. So hopefully we can pull that off.
2: Should we do that and then like rent an RV? Cause I know we've been planning on doing that, right guys? Rent an RV yeah. and just travel and <laughs> Jimmy can sleep, sleep in the front. We'll get the, we'll get the king size in the back. <laughs>
3: i'm totally i'm essentially the dad of the internet i think yeah soccer space so you know i'm okay taking the dad hat and driving around every. you know (laughs) providing snacks for all the competitors oh
2: my gosh that would be a dream but yeah we definitely should do that all right jimmy well tell us a little bit about you know your move and everything and how everything's going over near you
3: well yeah I would say that the move's been pretty good. I feel somewhat isolated up here. There aren't a lot of creators that are doing the same types of things uh, in this area of the country. So I do miss New York and it's a lot closer to Europe where, you know, obviously, we know a lot of the, a lot of the games, biggest games are played, but, you know, I'm trying to fend for myself and I get to do a lot of cool things and I, and I work with EA and Target and Coca-Cola and AT&T and, you know, they're putting a lot of money into the sport and it helps me stay connected. So. And the internet, obviously the power of the internet makes everybody feel pretty close. So uh, yeah, I- I'm excited. It's-, it's great to be here. I have my own space, my own little studio, and, and that's made a big difference because we were in a shoebox in, in New York and, and uh, I was basically my studio was my bed.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I know. Scenes. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's just so cool to see where you are and what you're doing now because we met you when, 2015, it was the- a month before the Women's World Cup.
3: And- yeah, that's that's right. Um, it was cool meeting you guys. I just really somebody basically said, "Hey, you got to check out Soccer Girl Probs," and I was like, "Hmm, what are these girls doing?" You know, <laughs> and you guys were—I feel like still trying to figure out how big you wanted to make this. And so, to see where you guys are, let's leave me out of the equation for a second. <laughs> I know you're—I'm your guest, but I want to talk about you guys, uh, what you've done in in a short period of time, and and how you inspire uh the next generation of girls and and i'd say boys as well i mean i'm watching going man i wish i would have come up with those ideas (laughs) i wish i would have had the creativity to come up with that man they're a lot funnier than i thought i was you know these are all real (laughs) harsh realities i have to accept but but on top of that i have two daughters at home who are now nine and 13 which make me feel pretty old even though I act like I'm 17 or 18 so I feel like my median age is around <laughs> 28 29 uh, it, it's it's cool to see how they consume your content as well which obviously is going to be a little bit different than me yeah and uh, it's very uplifting and powerful and, and I can't thank you guys enough for what you do
2: wow that was Good. really Eight. so sweet and I was just gonna say guys like it's so cool that Jimmy, you were a huge part of why we are where we are today. Like, you helped us. So, for those who don't know, Jimmy Conrad, he was – what would you say your position was at at COPA?
3: Well, I was ultimately the face of the channel. Yeah. They they tell me I have a face for radio, so I (laughs) reluctantly say this. Yeah. But uh, it's – yeah, I mean, ultimately, I got hired to be one of the faces of the channel, and I was really the, the mainstay. Mm-hmm. I, I was the one that I was on most of the programming. I was the only full-time, I think, talent for, for many, many years. And they would bring in other people that were more freelancers, but I, a lot of the stuff orbited around me. And And I was thankful for that because that allowed me to kind of grow into the position a little bit and allowed me to be myself. Sometimes when you take jobs, whether it's in the media or somewhere different, you feel like you have to be somebody else when you put on that hat yeah. and you're not, you can't be true to yourself. And I think that's, what's pretty liberating about the internet and YouTube and making videos and social media is that you can be pretty true to yourself. And, and, uh, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. I enjoy to yeah.
1: say For any of our followers who have never seen a video with Jimmy in it, or who have never watched him recap games or recap important soccer moments, you have to watch because, I'm telling you, I hate watching people talk about something that already happened. Like, I'm just that never does it for me. But I could watch <laughs> how, an, how animated you get and how animated your face gets and the way you'll yell over certain things. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You, the Coach Jimmy skits that you do. Like, I, it is so entertaining. It's for my personal favorite, like, recaps. Yes. Things. I can't watch recaps unless they are coming. But
2: Alana, rest. here's the thing. Like, Jimmy, you're pretty much the brother to our company because you put a, sp- a comedic spin on everything. And I think that's what sticks. Like, I want to continue watching you because you make it fun and engaging, you know? And I think, so just going back, like, when you, you Copa hired us to um, cover the Women's World Cup, you were doing, um, what was it? Uh, you were at another tournament.
3: I was at the Copa America yes, in Chile. Copa America. But I handed off that responsibility to you guys because I wanted to hear a female, female voice talk about yeah. Women's world cup i obviously was time. very very bummed not to be there for yeah. support the u.s women's national team but we were trying to tackle a couple different projects at the same time and uh and yeah. i just thought it made more sense and felt more organic and, and real yeah. to hear from you guys and, and your journey and and everything through that I, yeah. I appreciate that i mean there's so much love going back and forth here i feel like we should just end the podcast yeah. you all know, the soccer girl problems on all the platforms <laughs> follow me and all the platforms we're done this has been great. I love you guys. I'll be on your show
2: anytime. <laughs> no, it's just something because, like, I wish when we were uh, considered, you know, reporters or correspondents in in Canada, I wish, you know, we were were as funny and as charismatic as you are. You know, like, but it was our first time doing it, and like, you really put us on you helped us expose our brand and you know it just we we grew so much that year and we've just never I don't even know if we ever really truly said thank you for that like so that's how we met and you were such a right I mean we've definitely said thank you but
3: (laughs) you know what I mean it's, it's it was clear you guys had talent there was no denying what you guys were trying to do um it was you were still very early on and I think it was less about your identity I think you guys knew who you wanted to be and what you stood for but it was just a matter of are we going to take that full step into this space in a, in a really meaningful way? And I think the Women's World Cup in 2015 gave you that experience to see if you really mm-hmm. wanted it and really liked it. And uh, you guys ran with it after that. And, and even prior to that, you guys had planted the seeds for success. And honestly, it's, it's super impressive to see what you guys have grown into. And, and, and I think what's even more interesting for me is where you're going next and how you continue to evolve and, and grow this thing out. So it's, it's very cool.
2: Yeah, we have a bunch of projects that I'm sure you might have seen on social media, but like stuff we can talk offline about that's really exciting. And like, we really want you to be a part of a lot of what's going on. And also, you'd be guys would be proud. We actually have grown our male audience too, which is pretty awesome. Right, guys? Like, I yes. like, we used to be 99% female audience. And now I think it's more like 75, 80,
0: yeah, 25% on Instagram. Yeah.
2: Else. Wow, that is impressive. Yeah. Well, I'm, Jimmy,
0: I'm one of, I'm one
3: of them, because yeah, I, I yeah. definitely follow everything you guys are doing.
0: Yeah. When's the last time we saw you?
3: In person? Yeah. Was I that when we like... filmed the video, the dad video? No. No, it <laughs> was, We I feel like we saw each other at a pickup game, or maybe I saw one of you, or at least we talked about it. I feel like we talked about maybe seeing each other. I had no way. We it feel might, like there's been an event where we've crossed paths before. Yeah, maybe it we was Miami or something. We did,
0: we did that pickup game in Red Bull together. That was so much That's fun. Oh, like, yeah.
2: yeah. That.
0: that was awesome. But that yeah. dad video was hilarious. We'll have to put it in the description.
3: <laughs> yeah. I, I watched it. I showed it to somebody, honestly, like a month or two ago. and Because and, I look at a lot of you. I'll be honest. I look at a lot of your stuff for TikTok inspiration. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, and, uh, I, I, yeah, I can't. You guys are good, and and I watched it. I was like, man, that's a really good video. Like that dad video holds up. You know, you can watch it you, five you years are, from now and it's still be funny.
0: You know, yeah. You were a full suit in a hundred and like five
3: Listen, my talent, and I tell this to anybody that I coach as well, because as a player, my my biggest talent was commitment. And that's definitely transferred over to what I do now. I fully commit. commit. Whatever I'm going to do, it's with both feet, everything I got.
2: (laughs) Also, no, while we're on the topic, I really wanted to know, like, you have two daughters who probably play soccer. I think you are a coach of one of them, right?
3: Um, I coach my youngest rec team, and I am assistant. Well, I just try to help out. With my older, but she's, you're she's in a, more edging of a formal your, club now.
2: You're edging your way in to be the coach of her team yeah. as well.
3: <laughs> well, and I don't want to because I don't know, Fiona O'Sullivan is her coach. She used to play professionally and she's from this area, and I want her to to have yeah. a female role model in, in her life that's speaking to her in that way as a coach. I love she it. She gets enough of it of it from here from here, <laughs> yeah. from home in terms of and I'm not—I'm not an overbearing dad, but it's just like these little things. Maybe, th- maybe think about it like this. You, you did, good. Like that. maybe you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe just a little plant the seed here. You know, she's really hard on herself, which I uh, suffer from as well, and so it's tough because as a parent, even—even even as an older sibling, let's say, you have to let them go through their process, and I think that's the mm-hmm. hardest thing for me—is to sometimes I stop her too early, and I'm like, hey you know, you should be doing this, this, and this, because, and this is me speaking with 30 years of experience of how to like kind of control and master my emotions and try to tell a 13 year old, you just got to do it like this. No big deal, It's super easy, you know? And and I don't give her any room to process it in her way. And, mm-hmm. and, and she actually called me on it maybe two weeks ago. And I, I'm not, again, I'm not, well, I like to think I'm not overbearing. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll phrase it like that, but, but, I totally back off now. She said it like, hey, you just got to let me feel how I'm feeling. And I was like, you got it. You it. I got you. I got you. We are on the same page. I love that. Now, yeah. Whether it's like super tears or she gets frustrated at things. I'm like, ah, it's just, there's a bigger thing here, right? If you're going to go practice, because I'll give you an example. And I am think everybody can relate to this. So she goes out and trains and starts to juggle, right? She's working on her juggling and she gets 10 for the first time, right? Or whatever it may be. <laughs> I wish I could get 10 <laughs> <laughs> you and, me both. And, and she uh, and then she doesn't train for two or three days, doesn't touch the ball. And then she goes back out and tries to do 10 again and she can't do it. And she's, it's an absolute meltdown. She just can't, she can't understand. I'm like, listen, this is a, this is a process. This is an everyday mm-hmm. thing. This isn't just, i show up whenever I want and I can juggle like Messi, or I, I I'm going to start dribbling like Tobin Heath and just have sauce and just dice people up all mm-hmm. of that. It's just like, that's, that it doesn't, it's not how it works, mm-hmm. but that's kind of the stuff that I give her information on and then she's got to work through her process. And so it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's tough. It's tough because, and this is true for anything. It doesn't have to be soccer. It can be a musical instrument. It can be acting. It can be school, whatever it is. I mean, you have to put the work in and, and people ask me about my professional career all the time. And the number one question is, well, how did you play in a world cup? Everybody wants a a shortcut. I think when they, when I answer that, And, Mm -hmm. and the answer is there are no shortcuts. That's the secret.
2: Yeah. That's actually great advice. Because, too, I feel like there's, especially with social media and stuff, like these young girls are looking at these older players and they think that they're perfect and everything they do is perfect, but they don't see all the times that they failed and all the times that Tobin probably was terrible at at juggling. She probably wasn't. She probably was never terrible. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, growing up, she probably worked so hard on, on her technical skills. And, like, it's just, it's a nice reminder that there is no, like, magic... Potion you could take or whatever to be perfect, you have to really put the work in, and I I think that's awesome. And the reason, yeah, go ahead.
3: Well, no, I want to jump in there just to kind of further that point. What I encourage her to do, my daughter, and and any players that I'm coaching, is you have to push, you have to make mistakes to know what you're capable of. If you're never, if you're trying to be perfect all the time, you're never going to know when is the right time to use this particular skill in a game or or not, like. It just, for, it creates this kind of indecision and indecisiveness and this insecurity. Whereas just, just go, make mistakes. Like that is how you're going to learn uh, the proper time to take people one-on-one or, or when to hold somebody off or how to properly shield somebody or when to play simple or maybe, you know, all these little things that, that are incorporated into the game. So what I try to do, and for any coaches out there, young players, anytime you're learning a new skill, go slow at first master the technique Mm -hmm. you don't there's no rush the the speed will come once the technique is mastered because what you're trying to do is is develop your muscle memory you're you're trying to teach your body what you wanted to do in that movement and you can't do it by going 100 miles an hour right out of the gate you have to go slow first so anytime that i'm doing drills i usually make it like 20 30 seconds where you're going very slow go through that a few times and you rest it's not a fitness thing i For me, I always try to make things fitness wise, but it's not a fitness thing. It's more about developing techniques. So once your body starts to understand how you want to move and shift, and really what we don't talk about when we talk about developing skills is that weight distribution, how you shift your weight from left to right and right to left and how you accelerate out of those movements. Because once your body gets used to that, everything's going to be a lot cleaner, but you have to start slow. And then whatever last set that you do with the skill, then that's the time. Like last 30 seconds, I'm going to go as fast as I possibly can to then start to develop how I can do this a little bit quicker, but, yeah. but it's a process and everybody wants to skip right to the end. Everybody wants to be in a video game. Everybody wants to get it. Yeah. Like if, I hand, if I handed that to players right away, would it mean anything? It wouldn't mean anything. Yeah, sure. You 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 might have a blue check mark next to your name on social media, whatever that means, but, but it, you didn't earn it. You didn't do anything to earn it. So what does it matter? You know, and I, I, it's an interesting, it's an interesting mentality that you see in a lot of young players that are in a rush to get there without really taking the moment to enjoy the process because when you look back on your career like I do and I'm sure you guys can attest to it too the journey was the coolest part like Mm -hmm. can I make it can I get there try to see if you can reach your goals what is actually what you derive the most satisfaction Not, I mean getting there too is cool because it validates all the hard work but but it's really the yeah it's everything in between that 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 ultimately matters it's so so
1: true and I love what you said too about failing like I feel like Everyone wants to get it right and get it right the first time and not mess up. But if you're experiencing failure because you're not taking risks, that's so rarely, it really knocks you on your ass when you experience failure. So that's why I think we like try to embrace the fails all the time mm-hmm. with things because the more accustomed you get used to that feeling of, you know, getting knocked down or, or failing or completely messing something up, you can bounce back from it so much quicker.
3: Than if I you mean, had- no, it's a great point. and I And there's two points I want to make on that. I played with so many talented players along the way, but when they hit that point in their career where everything isn't going their way, they don't know how to cope because mm-hmm. they don't know how to cope with failure. That's mm-hmm. one. Two, when we talk about making videos now, like we you and I both do on YouTube and and, and TikTok or whatever we're doing, the funniest parts are actually when we fail. People, <laughs> I don't know why. Like If you put out a Blippers <laughs> video, I, I'm actually more drawn to that because... It's the attempt to try to do something right, and you mistake where everybody can really relate to that. And it's, yeah. it's interesting where the where the failures what people enjoy more than anything. Maybe they just want to see us fail. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> I don't know. I don't
2: know. No, but I think, do. You think, mm-hmm.
0: Do you think? Sorry, Carly. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go. I was just going to say. Do you think all the things you were just talking about for how you're coaching are these things that you learned as a player or from other coaches or from after you retired, or is it a
3: mix? I think it's a mix. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I learned along the way. One of my biggest learning moments was I was about 15, 14 or 15, and we ran into Marcelo Balboa's dad, and we saw him at a soccer tournament. My coach called him over, and you could tell he was like, "Oh man, I got to talk to another team." At this point, Marcelo Balboa, for everybody that's unaware, played in two World Cups for the U.S. Men's National Team, and and. He's a defender like me. He was just, and he grew up in my area. Like, I was like, oh, this is my guy. So when we got to see his dad, I was like, oh my god! So I stuck up my hand, like, I got a question. He calls on me, and then I say the, the whole thing. Hey, how did Marcelo play in two World Cups? You know, and, and because that's, that's the easy question to ask. And for me, you could probably already tell, that I would give a 30-minute answer to any kid that asks me that. But he just looks at me and says, he just went and worked on his game at the park every day for two hours. And then he moved on to the next question. And I sat there with that and it was the biggest Eureka moment. It was the light bulb went over my head. I then realized that it was up to me to decide how good I was going to be at anything. It was not up to anybody else. Mm -hmm. And that was really important. Now I'll say that that's really easy for me to say. And obviously I proved that it works and blah, 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 but I'm like, okay, cool. I know how to do it now. Marcelo went to the park every day for two hours. I'm going to go to the park for every day for two hours. So I went to the school by my house. And I went out there, and there's a wall, and I got a ball, and I'm like, uh, <laughs> what do I do? What do I do now? You know, there's no YouTube back then, uh, so I didn't have That's any true. T- online tools. So it, it was it was really interesting, and, and I think what it ended up doing, and this speaks to what your your point, Alana, with with terms of coping. I had to face up to the fact that I wasn't as good as I thought I was. So I started to like, all right, I'm going to work on my left foot. I know it's not as good as my right. So I started to juggle with my left and I, I was, t- I mean, I was embarrassed how bad I was at my left foot and nobody was at the school. There was nobody there. And I was embarrassed. Like, that's how bad it was. And I was like, Oh my God, this, this, this sucks. And this hurts. I'm going to go home. So I went home after 10 minutes, like so much easier to play video games than it is to actually work on my game myself and to kind of live my life through this, this thing. Now I love video games, so I'm never going to not play those, but, but so I'm not like completely dismissing them, but it, it, it was an easier route for me to take and then i came back to it the next day and and i just stuck with it and yes i only stood out there for 10 or 15 minutes because i was still trying to develop what it was i wanted so i started asking my coach real questions how can i get better what what do i need to work on and then he would give me some insight I'm like okay cool i'm gonna i'm gonna apply that and what happens is if you stick with it you start to slowly get better than your teammates <laughs> and you're like, huh. This is kinda cool I like being better than my teammates. This is actually a really great feeling. And then you go, What if I stayed out for twenty minutes? Would I be twice as good? Like is that how <laughs> is that how it works? Is that how the math works? And then I you start to get it, it, you you become addicted in some ways because you start to realize how much more you're improving. And people are like, Hey, how did, you start you good. How did you get so good? Yeah, like, I don't know. You know, you don't you don't want to tell anybody you're yeah. <laughs> But at that point, after, after you know a couple of weeks and a month, and you start to see and feel the improvement, because once you start to work on your game by yourself, your mastery of the ball and your confidence when you receive a ball, even if you're playing up against the wall, it changes. And, and, and you start to buy yourself that half second that you need to make decisions on the field. And that opens up your whole game. And as you get more comfortable going to both sides, it changes everything. And then when, now let's just jump ahead. I went from, from doing all that and developing all these games that I was doing and working to then I'm like, Huh? I saw one of my teammates my rookie year in MLS, and he was he was working with a tennis ball machine. His name was Eddie Lewis. He ended up playing in two World Cups for the U.S. as well. And I'm like, wow, this guy's wor- he's shooting tennis balls across the court and he's trapping them. St- that is next level. <laughs> so I went over to him like, hey, can I can I do this with you? And he was so protective of his secret. He's like, no, man, now you can't. So I waited till he left, and I went and talked to the tennis pro, and I was like, hey. uh, can I do that too. And he he was super cool and let me do it. And and then Eddie left. He went to go play in England. And and I made that thing my own. So then you start to figure out ways to layer up. And then on top of that, you start to realize, hey, what if I lifted a little bit more? Would I get stronger? Yeah, that makes sense, right? And then if I started to run a little bit more, I'd be more fit. So you start to figure out ways to gain advantages. And once, once that really hits you and you start to see the tangible difference that, that all that makes, you'll never... You'll never not work on your game or, or anything that you're doing again because you, you, there's proof in the pudding. And for me, that was didn't get recruited in, at a high school that had to walk on in college that won the national championship my senior year. We used to UCLA and didn't get drafted. The other four seniors got drafted and I didn't. So I had all these doors closed in my face. And yet I still found a way to play in a World Cup, uh, to be captain of the national team, to be on cereal boxes and play in, be in FIFA video games and all that stuff. And it was only because I was working a little bit harder than everybody else.
0: Yep, I love it. Do
3: you have your cereal box in there? I do. I do. <laughs> it's
2: in here somewhere. You got to show us a picture. That's freaking awesome. Also, I, I just love this mentality because I feel I, like people think that – well, I feel like what what's often common is that when people fail, they continue to fail, and they get so discouraged that they get lazy, and they're like, well, why am I going to try – you know, to do this, if I'm just going to fail, it's a terrible mindset. So like the reason the, you know, you going out there and doing that every single day and putting the work in and seeing the results, that is motivation in itself. It's self-motivation. And I just love that. Like that was definitely key to you and your successes for sure. It's why you had a leg up, you know?
0: uh,
3: Go ahead. Go ahead, Shannon.
0: Sorry, I was going to ask, do you think that because you didn't have YouTube and everything that you had to really like do it more yourself like you didn't have all these like apps to help you train and you didn't have all these like resources like do you think it was because of the time like that that was more on like on your own and you had to do it yourself
3: uh in many ways yes I will say my only reluctance about the YouTube stuff is that maybe you're training on and you're working on your game or working on different moves and skills that don't really matter now, mm-hmm. listen, I have nothing but respect for freestylers. Nothing but respect. They can do things with a ball that I couldn't even dream of doing. <laughs> I Even like half of their move I can't do, right? But you don't see these types of moves being used in a real game. And as a defender, I just didn't want to waste time at the park working on stuff that I didn't use in a game. And I think from that standpoint, I benefited from not having YouTube and, and Instagram and all these apps that could potentially help you because there, there's, I, I'm drawn to it as well. I want to watch the freestylers. I want to see them do two around the world, and so then put it in a trash can 40 yards away. Yeah, <laughs> I want to watch that. But, but it's not real life. It's not how the game is played. I mean, for me, it's more, especially as a center back, it's getting the ball out of my feet and playing it to my outside back. Or can I thread the needle into my maybe maybe skip a line and find the, find the defender, or excuse me, the, the striker on my team? Or you know, can I hit that little dinky chip that gets us out of pressure? You know, I worked on this. This is the craziest thing. I worked on this thing. Uh, I, I couldn't hit a long ball very well, but I worked on it and, and I played against the wall 20 yards, right? I put an X. Okay. So I, I, I passed the ball. It come right back to me pretty hard. And I'd have to take that first touch to get it out of my feet, which is a skill that you guys know is, is so underappreciated. Like that mm-hmm. first touch to get it out of your feet. So you can immediately either shoot pass or dribble is so important. So, and I know that if you did freestyle tricks and all that stuff, like you're going to help, that's going to help you develop a first touch. There's no question. However, this, everything kind of above and beyond that, I feel like it's somewhat of a waste of time if you really want to be uh, climbing the ladder. Yeah. But what I did was I, I took a play that ball, I hit it, and then I kind of turned to my right and I created a box, like a 10 by 10 box, about 30 yards away where I thought the right back would be. Okay. And I would just try to drop balls into that box. I was 16 when I was doing this. Fast forward to when I'm 29 years old playing in the World Cup, okay? We're playing against Ghana. We need to win this game to go to the, to the knockout rounds. We're under a ton of pressure. We're not unlocking anything. The ball comes to me, gets fired at me. I take the same touch I took when I was 16, and I dink the ball over their striker to our right back. That unlocks their whole defense, and we get off a good shot. We don't end up scoring, but that play completely translated to something mm-hmm. I saw and did in a World Cup. And had I not practiced it, had I not thought about it, had I not developed that muscle memory to make that happen, I'm not sure I would have executed it perfectly when all the pressure was on.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. It's so true. And that's what, it sounds to me like you really do need to bring it back to the basics of your position and like focusing on that. And it, like you were saying, muscle memory, all of that stuff comes with repetition. And I remember like at Fairfield, I, I, I would take the free kicks sometimes. And I remember, having to constantly go over it a million times because I was not perfect at it. I would take the same shot and it would go completely in different directions. You know, like you have to work on that stuff. And I like the saying, um, pra- practice makes per doesn't make perfect practice makes permanent. So it's kind of like you were saying the muscle memory, your body's going to react in a faster and more efficient way. The more you do things. So I, that's un- unbelievable. I wish you guys scored in that game. You need. well, we did Yeah. We, we, cl- but it wasn't due to my off to of my your pass. Yeah.
3: What's funny though, is that I, we didn't, when I look back at that game, we didn't switch the point of attack a lot. And I wish that we would have, because that's when we unlocked Ghana's defense. They were very locked down on one side. And that, the the time we did it again, I hit a big switch over to Eddie Lewis, maybe one of the best switches I've hit in my life. Cause I'd like thread this needle, 60 yard ball right on his foot. And even I hit it like, I can't believe yeah. I just did that. That's unbelievable. And I had to do it split, split second. You know, I had to know yeah. exactly what I wanted to do before I did it. And it got to him. And then we we, whipped, we were down a goal at this point. He whipped it in. I think Brian McBride hit the post, you know. And, and it just, that recognition and understanding, you know, how to unlock defenses, even as a center back. It's just, it's so important. And and I don't know. I don't know exactly the audience that you, I mean, I know the, the age of the audience, but I don't always know what your podcasts or who are you trying to talk to and, and how this went. This went straight from like we love each other to like this is how you guys need to train to become
1: professional. I think you're bringing up such an important point because I think a lot of people, like I train a, a ton of girls in soccer, and all they're concerned with is learning the next trick. I want to learn another trick. What's the next move I can? And it's like I'm like if really I would love for you to master this to the point where you could do it blindfolded and not have it. You know, like. Mm-hmm. Perfectly. And I think it's it's nice. It's shiny and attractive to be able to do. The cool stuff but like you're saying like to be able to truly master the basics of your position or that's one of that's such a great piece of advice because the players that are successful now are the people that can do that hundred percent of the time
3: mm-hmm. and they yeah. don't
1: ever make that mistake so it's, it's it's just really great advice for people to hear
3: yeah con- consistency is key i mean one of the reasons i stuck and played professionally for 12 years is because i did the simple things perfect every time you know i didn't and what's 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 interesting is, and I'm sure you guys can you can you guys can attest to it, is when you play with a player that you know what they're going to do, it's a lot easier for you as a teammate to then make your movements, right? You can run and support the play with purpose, or, you know, if you know that you got a, a number ten that that is very good at kind of rolling it from left to right, and then he can spray that ball over into the corner. If you're the outside flank, you're running a hundred miles an hour. But if you're playing with a player who gets it and then wants to do a few tricks and then slows the play down and then all of a sudden that that run isn't on anymore, you're not gonna run with the same type of passion or or energy or purpose. Like it's just, it changes everything. So yes, there's a time and place for tricks. And when I coach my teams, I want them to be themselves, specifically in the attacking part of the field or if they're in (laughs) one-v-one situations, right? Because if we lose the ball, we're in a good position to try to win it back. But but. You have to be thoughtful about when and where you do it, and how it impacts the rest of the team around you. Because if you are doing those tricks and you're making it about you, then it, then it's not about it's not about the team, and it's not about the sport. It you takes just the be doing fun pre- out. Freestyle videos.
2: Yeah, but it takes the fun out too for everyone because you're just like everyone gets so frustrated. You know, mm-hmm. I I will never forget a girl I grew up playing soccer with. She would just take the ball and take on four people and do like a Maradona and all this stuff and she'd lose the ball and we're like, you know what, I don't even want to play you the ball now. It's just you know I it's don't know who
3: you're talking about.
2: <laughs> yeah, you I uh, you think
3: actually just could have called Shannon she... by her name.
2: No, no, no. <laughs> no, it's a mutual it's a mutual friend. Um yeah, you definitely know. But everyone
0: has that team of, yeah. like that team that you know that they're remembering right now or yeah. currently. But it does
2: so, yeah, it's it is true though. To think about that it's like uh, there's a time and place for it and you totally encourage it but of course like not in dangerous situations where your team actually you know your your defense is going to work that much harder if you lose the ball and you have to get back so yeah so so
3: i'll give you a story uh that kind of speaks to the opposite side of that where i would want my teammate to get after yeah it. so we were playing in a game this is the kansas city sporting kansas city and mls i'm a center back I got Eddie Johnson, who played in the World Cup and played in the Premier League, and a ton of experience. And he gets in a one v one situation, and I know what's going on with him. In practice, he's not feeling very confident right now. Whatever it is, he's just, everybody goes through that, right? Where you lack a little bit of confidence, and it's hard to regain that at times, especially at the professional level when everybody's it's so competitive. But he gets in a one v one situation at the corner of the box. Okay, he the guy is so fast and quick, and he's got amazing feet but he, he, I can sense he's lacking confidence. He, instead of taking this person one-on-one, and, and, if, and if he would have looked up and glanced just for a second, the guy didn't really have any cover, okay, so it's an even better time to take somebody one-on-one, and he plays it back, he plays it safe, okay? So I pull him aside when it, when it was appropriate, it might've been halftime if I, if I remember, and I said, listen, Eddie, I love you, okay? That's first. Second, <laughs> I work my ass off here in the back, okay? And I'm doing that so that when you get in 1v1 positions, you take people on. It's disrespectful to me if you don't take that person on because I'm working super hard to Mm -hmm. get you the ball in that spot. That's what I want. I don't care if you lose it in that spot. If you don't take him on with confidence, you're disrespecting me as your teammate. You know, and so those are the moments where when you're around those talented players, when you're in 1v1 and they can recognize that's the right decision in that situation you're always going to be 100 percent behind them now it's when they're taking too many touches and attracting three or four defenders and then they can't get out of it and that happens consistently where they're going to lose faith and every from everybody else and trust and all that but i just wanted to share that story because there is a time and place for those skills to come out and and for that and and as and as a teammate you watch when you want to see them do that but uh but yeah it's it's an interesting line because everybody's trying to prove themselves and everybody's trying and everybody's playing the game for a certain reason some people love to dribble, some people love to pass, some people love to score, some people want to be the goalkeeper, those people are crazy. You know, there's, there's, uh, there's all different types, the, the game speaks to, to different people in different ways, but, but uh, you still have, you're still part of a team, and that needs to never be forgotten. Jimmy, yeah. I feel like you love soccer more than anyone I know. <laughs> 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 I know
2: about it. Also, I oh, love, my, I love when me. he takes his player and he's like, number one, I love you. <laughs> Number two, <laughs> like, that is so important because I feel like we talk about this with Seth Taylor. Like, the player, all they the player wants is to be loved and accepted. And you putting it out there first saying, like, I'm not mad at you, but I have constructive criticism for you, and this is going to help you. You know, I just, that was so great. Um, but, so, when did you stop actually stop playing?
3: I retired in 2011. Uh, I had concussion issues, and so... Okay. I had a really bad one with the national team in 2009 at the gold cup we were playing panama in the quarterfinals and i went up for a corner and i got to the ball and i headed it and after i headed it the guy jumped late and like jumped right into my temple and so i was knocked out cold i didn't feel it because i knocked out cold for 20 minutes i landed on my face which didn't help either i broke my thumb because i had gone limp but i didn't get knocked out like i was still there but i have 20 minutes of post-impact amnesia like i don't have it's bad. Don't even don't go look on it on YouTube. It's 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 pretty nasty. Oh I remember goodness. waking up in the ambulance twenty minutes later, and I could only see out of the bottom uh, left part of my eye. And uh, that at is that point, terrible. you're pretty feeling. You're actually feeling pretty loopy. You know, you don't really know what's going on. You're not like it's a weird type of hurt. And yeah. after that, that particular concussion, obviously, I, I followed all the protocols and got my tests and waited six to eight weeks before I started playing again. And uh, I just started to get concussions a little bit easier i don't know if it was because i was in my own head about it as well Mm -hmm. i was very very uh sensitive now to going up for headers and like taking elbows to the face whereas before i was a just fly around with reckless abandon Mm -hmm. now i was a little bit more thoughtful about what i was doing and i don't think it allowed me to play with the same type of aggression because i was thinking about it that's one and then two i told my wife um that you know if i suffered one where i got a little bit nervous about that I, i would stop and i got punched in the back of the head by a goalkeeper. Uh, innocently, like we both went up for the ball for a corner and he just came late. And I got there first and he hit me right in the back of the head and I blacked out for like 10 seconds and I didn't feel very good. I passed all the tests and all that, but I had a headache for three months. Oh my god! So it just, I was 34, you know, I'm not going to go for the national team anymore. I was with Chivas yeah. USA, doesn't even exist. Uh, they're LAFC ultimately now. And, and, uh, there was just, there was, it was a rebuilding project. I didn't need to be the hero anymore. So yeah. I stepped aside and, and yeah. then started my media career and,
2: and away Wait. we go. You stopped playing when Twitter was just starting to get big. Did you immediately get onto the social media game and?
3: Oh, start... I was there like in 2009. Yeah, that yeah that's on a... early.
2: That's how so he... I felt. Like I was like, I love Twitter, but no one loved Twitter. Like I was writing my diary on Twitter, and nobody cared.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those, some of those early tweets are crazy. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you, I'll give you a crazy story. So, in that same Gold Cup where I got had that con- bad concussion, I was still with the team. And what had happened earlier in the tournament was the Mexico coach, there was, he was, I think there was against Panama on the group stages, first game of the tournament. One of the Panamanian players is kind of running off the field to save a ball, but you know, right where the coaches stand a little coach's box. Mm-hmm. And as the ball's coming out, the players coming out, the coach of Mexico sticks out his leg. And essentially like, not two foots him, but like gets him over the knee. It's like a t- proper tackle. Wow! And everybody's like, what the hell is this guy doing? You know, so he gets banned, this coach until the final. Well, let's fast forward to the semifinals. I'm hurt because I got hurt in the quarterfinals. But I'm with the team. We get to the final with Mexico. The semifinals were in Chicago. And these are our big rivals, by the way. But we share a plane to go to New York for the final. And Stu Holden, who a lot of people are familiar with Stu Holden now in the soccer space, he goes, it's kind of crazy that we're, uh, that we're uh, going on this, this plane with Mexico. I, I hope the, kick, the coach doesn't kick me on my way down the aisle. <laughs> Amazing joke, right? I'm like, dude, can I, can I tweet that? That's hilarious. This is really early on. I maybe have like 800 followers at this point. And, and so I tweet it, and I close my phone, and we have a three-hour flight. Yo, I get off I get off the, the flight, three hours. Dude, it has gone viral. Oh, my like, God. Flight, I was like, I was getting death threats. No! It was, yeah, it was the lead story on Sports Center in Mexico.
2: Right before it, it, your game, too.
3: <laughs> and I wasn't even playing. And oh I had my to, God. I had to apologize to... Uh, well, U.S. soccer, of course, because they were like doing all this <laughs> troubleshooting for me and to everybody else, and then I had to, I had to go on uh, the the media for Mexico and apologize to the people and the coach. Oh, and, <laughs> yeah, and, and basically say that I was just, it was just a joke, you know, I it didn't mean any disrespect, and, uh, and I was just sitting there training, watching the guys train at MetLife Met Stadium now, and it, it was insane, and I had never had as many cameras pointed at me. For a training before my whole entire You're tweeter. life and I was just like sitting there and I can't do anything I'm you know I'm coming off a concussion and they're probably like Jimmy's insane right now he doesn't know what he's saying you know whatever they're using to defend me
2: you should and have so blamed took, your concussion I,
3: saw, I took down the tweet you know I didn't know what to do at that point it's so early in Twitter I took down the tweet uh I have a newborn baby at home um or no, she's like two she's like two I haven't been home in five weeks it's not that hard to find where people live so I got a little gun shy then I just deleted my account because I didn't want it to be a distraction so we go and play the final against Mexico and they beat us 5 0. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, uh, no. Yeah,
3: probably not going to say anything anymore about uh, Mexico <gasps> on social media. Yeah. Oh, my and I gosh. couldn't even play, I couldn't even contribute, you know? But you I know? knew that they had used that as firepower for sure to, to motivate <laughs> yeah. and to rally around something. And
2: You were the it, reason they it won it. that day.
1: That was like, I never knew that story. That was a good story.
3: Yeah, it's intense. And for me, it was a really good lesson in social media. Yes. So I learned really early on how to how to deal with some criticism and a lot of hate and to learn the ramifications of a throwaway tweet that you might mm-hmm. not think matters. And you might just think it's funny and lighthearted. But another whole set of people might take it very seriously. And you have to be thoughtful and, and, and careful about how you put yourself out there.
2: Totally. And for the lady ballers listening, I mean, it's so true, especially now because you guys have Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, like a million different social media channels where it's very easy for you to say something or post something that is inappropriate. And your team, your, your athletic department or your coach will find out, you know, like, so just be super careful about what you put out on there. And um, yeah, we I mean, when we started started tweeting, we, we didn't have a filter. You know, like you you quickly learned. I mean, it's not it's not a joke. You got to be careful about it.
3: I I will say just to jump in. I think one of the ways I could have put water on the whole thing and just <laughs> let it die down is if I just would have owned it. Yeah. I I was just trying to act like, "What? I I took it down. What are you talking about?" You know, like I was I was trying to deflect as opposed to just owning it and taking responsibility for what I said and and if I just would have tweeted right after, "Hey everyone, this is a joke."
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: yeah. I think it would have really taken the weight out of everything. Yeah. But I, no, I wasn't, nobody was educated in social media at that point. Nobody knew what to do, and that was not my first response. It was more like, I don't know, I'm concussed. What do you, what do you expect? <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying right now.
2: My account got hacked.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly, uh, there all kinds of different excuses as opposed to just saying, yeah, just own it. And I think if you own anything that you put out there, you'll feel better, you'll have more satisfaction even if it hurts when you take the responsibility for it. But uh, it's better than deflecting and, and trying to not take responsibility.
2: Yeah, that's a great yeah. lesson.
1: Well, so we, one thing that we love about you is that you have always been such a big supporter of the women's national team, and you've got a whole bromance with Rapino going on. And <laughs> you know, all I, eight, thought, I feel
3: like she's moved on from me, but I appreciate you saying that. you
1: still a bromance. <laughs> still there, don't worry. Uh, but, like, when did you start to become a fan of the women's national team, or did you always support, even when you were playing on the men's national team?
3: Tell us I mean, it's, for me, it's hard not to support the women's national team. I think here in America, you are developed into thinking that we're number one at everything. And our women's national team have pretty much been number one my whole life. So that's, uh, it's not hard to want to support them. And it's very easy to do so, not only because of their success, but also for who they are as people. And I think that's come out and come to light, even the, the famous 99ers. So I was, that was my rookie year in MLS when they won it. And I remember, after Brandy Chastain scored the game winner to, to win the World Cup final at the Rose Bowl. And I grew up outside of the Rose Bowl, so very important for me and an incredible moment for, for women's soccer overall. I hadn't. was in San Jose and she's from here. She's married to the Santa Clara coach. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he coaches anymore, but, but at that time he was still coaching at Santa Clara. And we did an event together and I had signed something that she had signed or she was going to sign. And I, and I basically challenged like, okay, Brandy, I see that. You know whatever, I basically wrote whatever you can do, we can do better. Uh, <laughs> cause that was like some phrase that was going around there and we ended up winning MLS cup, not too long after that. It was pretty funny. So, um, but yeah, so that was my first introduction to them on a personal level, uh, meeting Brandy and all that, but yeah, nothing but respect and admiration for what they've done for the game, uh, for both the men and women. So let's be honest. I mean, their, their influence has helped both sides and uh what they continue to fight for with regard to equality and 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 not just with payment right i think that seems to be the number one thing but for all these little tiny rights as well that maybe aren't talked about as much whether it's you know let's say a woman gets pregnant you know what happens then Mm -hmm. and and really going to bat in a really full-bodied way to make sure that that uh women are taken care of so i love it i I can't say enough about what these women stand for and who they are and and uh this success on the field is really just a byproduct of who they are as people, you know, they put the work in, they don't take any shortcuts, both uh, whether it's fighting for what they believe in or, or uh, scoring goals. Yeah, I love it. I, I mean, I actually had a conversation with Julie Foudy and I, I've, Julie Foudy and I are friendly. And it's funny cause you follow people on social media and you feel like you kind of know them and they follow you back and you're like, ah, cool. I get to see what they're doing and, and the, the imprint that they're making on, on society and their followers and all that good stuff. And then I had this this event that I thought she would be perfect for. She'd be a great MC, and somebody asked me, hey, I'm like, yeah, I think Julie Foudy would be amazing. So I talked to her for an hour, and I loved it. I could I could just have Julie Foudy day. At my, she's such a good leader and a good talker, and what she stands for is very cool. And, and yeah, I mean, at times, everybody's going to have an opinion, maybe. I'm not saying her, but anybody that, that you might not agree with. But I but you still want to listen to why or how they're defending it. And I, f- we, I remember we talked about something labor-related, and it's interesting. It's really interesting, and, and I can't get enough of Julie Foudy. So... You know, any of those w- women—it's uh, super cool. It's super cool to sit down on panels with them and to hear their perspective, and and uh, it's really important for for guys in particular to listen to what they have to say.
0: Yeah, I feel like you and Julie Fowdy would have the best podcast in the world. Oh my God, yes. to
3: listen
0: to yeah, <laughs> like your opinions on everything like for hours. But speaking <laughs> of podcasts, you're starting a podcast, right?
3: I am. I am starting a podcast. It's called Minds Your Business, and love it. It, it doesn't sound grammatically correct and it might not be grammatically correct but it will stick in your brain called mind your business so I have a sports psychologist friend uh, Dr. Lee Hancock who's written a few books and he was a sports psychologist uh, with me for one year in MLS and and really awesome guy great personality really thoughtful Uh, and and what we're trying to do ultimately is when we talk about players and I'm sure you guys do it too we're always talking about how fast they are how strong they are how good they are with the ball but we never really talk about the mental side how do they deal with adversity how do they cope with success You know, how do they, what what do they do when they make a mistake? Do they get up right away and keep fighting or do they stay on the ground and and feel sorry for themselves? You know, these are all these little components and I think we could all agree that it's actually what happens between the ears is really going to determine how much success you have. You have to have obviously proficiency and all those other things. You have to be pretty good tactically and technically and physically to, to scale the ladder and get up to the highest levels. But if you don't have it between the ears, you're not even going to make any, any steps whatsoever. So it's really kind of exploring that. And it's not just, we're going to have some soccer players. We just had John O'Brien on, who's very elusive. John O'Brien, I think is one of the best male players that we've ever developed, and he retired at 29, completely disappeared, went off the grid, and now just got his doctorate in in psychology. Wow. Yeah, so we have I'm like, dude, this guy it's like he's like Bigfoot. He just you know, does he exist? <laughs> Did I see him play? Was he my teammate once? And now all of a sudden here he is, and super bright guy. Uh, he played at IAX at 18. He got recruited. Uh, he grew up in my area in Southern California wow. and IX was there scouting and they got him and he played in the champions league and was a key guy for us in the 2002 world cup. And he was my teammate in the 2006 one. And I mean, that that guy that talented to retire at 29 is says something, you know? And so he okay. just sees things in a different way. So he's just one example, but we want to talk to musicians, actors, CEOs. Uh, we'd love to have you guys on just in terms of not only your playing career, but, but how you've developed a business and how you continue to maintain that and how you want it to grow. I mean, these are all, what, what you find out is when you strip away kind of the backdrop, we're all talking about the same stuff and the themes are very similar. So we just want to make sure that we're connecting with people on that level. Cause I think it'll make you and everybody else a lot more relatable. That's awesome. That's
0: I'm excited for that podcast. When, yeah. When is
3: it going live? Yeah. It hasn't gone live yet. Well, I guess I should probably talk to you guys about podcasting, but we want to package maybe three or four and get four of them done and then kind of release all four at once and yeah. then starting to get into like a twice a week routine so i would That's look for it in about two or three weeks but i appreciate okay. you guys giving me the plug i think it's a really fascinating topic and for me in particular because we do and i you guys are the same we do a lot of jokey stuff lighthearted stuff on camera this allows me to kind of tap into something i care about but don't really have a chance or a platform to talk about it yeah
0: you're I- an onion jimmy you have many layers yes <laughs>
2: <Thank you. laughs> I love it. Right. I Yeah.
3: And it's just it the fire. Yeah. Yes. Let's do it.
2: All right. Cool. Ready? What okay. is your favorite cleat?
3: Ooh, I was an Adidas predator guy. Okay. I was with them for 12 years. I have to say Adidas predator. I think I'm contractually obligated to say, it. No, no. <laughs> I think the 2005 Adidas predator was my favorite. And that was like the year I really started to have success and get in with the national team. It was MLS defender of the year and all that. So Wait, yeah, what? A little, you get attached to the boot. Yeah, you do 100%. What
2: color? 100%. What color were they?
3: They say, wouldn't, they wouldn't send me the fancy ones. Okay. As a center back, they would refuse to send me the fancy ones. So I wore, I wore black with red, red tongue. Cool.
1: Nice. All right. Most memorable moment on the fields.
3: Oh wow. Probably scoring against Mexico. And being the man of the match in 2007, that was my only goal for the national team. It helped Bob Bradley become the national team coach. He was an interim at that time. My, my club coach was there. You know, my youth club coach was there in the, in the audience. And so it was a really big deal. And yeah, was it, was, awesome. it was really neat. So that would probably be the one that stands out the most. And it's the one I roll the clip on all the time. Like, if you haven't seen, if you follow me at all, like within, within three days of following me, you're probably going to see a clip of this goal. I
0: have seen it for sure. <laughs> um, what's the most embarrassing moment you've had as a player?
3: Ooh, how do we define embarrassing? Is it, is it?
2: We're not like talking
3: doing sorry for myself or something funny. In your
2: own embarrassment, what else? Is- yeah, we're not talking about you juggling by yourself at the field. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that was that was embarrassing <laughs> on a real personal level. I mean, anytime you score an own goal, mm-hmm. you, you're, you're pretty embarrassed, you know. Right. So, and I had a I had one that was a nice volley that I slotted against FC Dallas back mm-hmm. in the day that we we lost one zero and. <laughs> I think it might have been the first goal of the season or the first game of the season, you're just like, eh, is this how the whole season's going to go? You know, <laughs> yeah. so I would say that uh, that stands out for me. Oh,
2: you're not the only one who's done that. Um, <laughs> it
3: sucks. It sucks. Who w-
2: was the most intimidating play? Intimidating player you've ever played against?
3: I would say I got to play against Leo Messi in the Copa America, but because – and I played against Zidane and Real Madrid, but because those guys – didn't really run around my area. You know, I didn't see them consistently. Mm-hmm. I'll probably go with the striker and R9, Ronaldo, the Brazilian, the guy was unstoppable. We gave him two half chances and he didn't just score. He hit the side netting. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like it. He's definitely the best number nine I've ever seen. Um, he, he one time had an opportunity to get a little bit of a gap on me. He was already faster and stronger than me, but he still wanted to gain a little bit more of that advantage to beat me to the near post. And he stuck his hand in my throat and I was like, "Yo, come on! Let's, look at you. your legs are bigger than my whole body." You know what I mean? Like, let's just relax, Quadzilla. You know? So, uh, I was kind of like put off. He didn't score there, thankfully, but he did score two goals, and that was that was an incredible experience to play against him in a friendly. But uh, yeah, he would be one where I was I was pretty intimidated because you can't stop him. Yeah. Like, he can go. He can do anything with both feet, and you're like, "This is this is a joke." <laughs> yeah, please please take it easy on me. I praying, play. Please please like begging. Please just take it easy on me today. Please be disinterested. Please have something going on in your life Be you don't sick. Really want to play
1: with it. It really sucks when you know that for all 90 minutes you're going to have to, like, literally not relax mm-hmm. for a hot second because yeah. that's like a whole different type of stress.
3: <laughs> yeah, it is. And especially if you feel like you're on an island because they had Raul, you know, they have Zidane. Like, you just they're almost impossible to defend. It was the Galacticos back in 2005. And it was at the Bernabeu, which was amazing. They got Roberto Carlos, secret Casillas, Sergio Ramos. It's just... The wow. team is ridiculous David Beckham, who I traded jerseys with afterwards, it's just a ridiculous That's team. Cool. That's ridiculous.
2: Really I won't cool. tell
3: you the final score. I'll just say it was an amazing experience. All
0: right, all right. <laughs> um, to that, who would who do you think would be the most intimidating female player to play against?
3: Tobin Heath is probably the one that I would fear as a defender, just because she's so good at unbalancing you. And if she gets mm-hmm. you in her spot where she's in control of the situation, you're done. You know, I mm-hmm. when I talk to my players about defend defending collectively even if we don't have the ball, you can still be in control of where the ball's going, right? You can still be, you know, in position to to shape the play, as I like to say. But if you get in 1v1 situations, it's very similar. But if, if the attacking player or the attacking team is in control, yeah, that's that's trouble. And I feel like Tobin Heath can make you look really silly as well. And you never want to get, you know, something between your legs and you're on TV for the rest of your yeah, life. One schooled. replay the show over and over and over. So Tobin Heath, I think, would scare me the most. But... But there's other players like Abby Wambach, I think she would have probably dunked on me, you know. Um, and just like basically just throwing me around. Uh, and then and then Alex Morgan, I think she's so she's so good in in and around the box. She's so she'd be I mean I'm looking kind of at attacking players for the, for the women. Yeah. She she's so crafty at like pulling off a shoulder and that type of stuff, which is a whole different type of defending and, and creating enough space to get shots off and obviously her te- technique is very good. So there's a lot of different players in a lot of different ways. On top of that, I would have loved to have seen what like Christine Lilly and mm-hmm. Ian were about in a more meaningful way. So I'd like to see what all the, the top strikers in the yeah, women's yeah. game. Yeah, the what they, bring, what they bring. Yeah, we should. They should. I would love to just see it and see it in, in, uh, in real time. <laughs> one it's one thing, thing to watch on TV, but it's another thing to see the subtlety and nuance of how they create space. And I got to play against Miroslav Klose as well, U.S. versus Germany. And he's the leading scorer on the men's side of World Cup history. And when you look at him, you're like, this guy should be selling books at a library or something. You know, he should be like a, uh, you know, the manager of an office depot or something. But when he gets out there, his movement in and around the box and how he holds the ball up, he just you can understand why he's put himself in positions to score. I think 15 World Cup goals. You know, so it's really interesting to see what, what different types of players uh, bring to the table. And and uh, yeah, so that, that's a really long answer to this quick fire.
0: <laughs> oh, we but I, I I do think that Christine and Mia will definitely come to our pickup tour, but we'll work on that list of everyone you just said. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Right. What is your favorite jersey number?
3: 12. That- I, I, used, I used to be 17 in high school, and I was 17 in college and 17 with the earthquakes my first four years in MLS. I got traded to Kansas City, and Chris Klein, who's now the president of the Galaxy, who's well entrenched at the team at that point, he was wearing 17, so I had to pick a different number. And I played with Jeff Agus, who was a national team center back for two World Cups and all that in San Jose. He wore number 12, and out of respect for him, I wore number. I took number 12. The, the crummy part was when I – that's not really crummy. I still got to play in the World Cup. But okay. when I joined the World Cup team, I was basically the last guy to make it, and I didn't get to choose my number. And, and Corey Gibbs, who unfortunately got hurt prior to the tournament, he, he picked number 12. And so I had – number 13 but then he got hurt greg berthalter came in as an alternate and now he's coaching the men's side and so he took 12 and i would have taken it and switched at that point but they'd already printed up all the jerseys and they couldn't switch Mm -hmm. it so i was 13 in the world cup and 12 the rest of the way and i gotta go with 12 because i just had so much success wearing that number
2: it's the worst when someone takes your number it's the worst (laughs) um
3: yeah it is i mean i was you know you see world cup pictures and people like whoa you were wearing 13 but i see you at number 12 i'm like dude i don't want to talk about it (laughs) (laughs)
2: everything
0: all right um what What's your favorite pre-game meal?
3: When I was playing, I'm a vegetarian now, and I have been for five years. So I would probably pick something different with this lens on, this vegetarian lens on. But at the time, it was pasta, chicken, some lean protein. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd throw some – I love broccoli, so I'd get some broccoli and or spinach in there. got to get those greens mm-hmm. and a lot of water.
1: What would your vegan pre-game meal be?
3: My vegan thing, I would just probably – I'd have to fix up or trade out the, the protein, so I'd have to do some – tofu or, um, probably a lot of nuts and beans. Mm-hmm, you know, there's just no not, yeah. There's not a lot of options, but, but yeah, there's different ways you can get around. I mean, there's <laughs> a lot of different bean stuff that you can do. And, and, and there's, you know, I still eat the protein bars, even though I'm not the biggest fan of all the ingredients, because mm-hmm. it feels like a very manufactured <laughs> type of food, but, but I would have to figure out ways to supplement that, whether it's like a, a packet of the stuff though. Now yeah. I, I, my friends have started a pea or plant protein drink uh, called Plant Works Nutrition. And cool. so I, I work with them a lot, and they send me stuff. So if you guys are interested, you guys should yeah. try it. It's actually pretty good. Wait, can yeah. I
2: suggest something? Do you um, use spirulina?
3: I don't, but I have heard of it. Because it has
2: a- the most protein per weight of anything in the world, and it's, um, it's algae. So you put it in smoothies. What? It's green. It's green. It turns everything green. Like you could put it in smoothies and it's, you won't even taste it, but it's a okay. great, it's a great way to get in your protein. All
3: right. I'm writing that down. Thank
2: yeah, you. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, okay. What was the meanest or nicest thing your coach has ever said to you?
3: The meanest thing. I'm going to, can I go there first? Can I go negative yeah. first? Yeah. So the yeah. meanest thing.
1: Profanity included.
3: Okay. The meanest <laughs> thing. I I got named as the 2005 mls defender of the year i was a finalist the year before and and i thought i actually had a better year in 2004 but i don't think they were ready to anoint me as a defender of the year without having like taken those steps to like at least be a finalist first but <laughs> in 2005 i have a, a similarly pretty good year but i'm with the national team a lot so i missed maybe 10 games that season because i was with them for the gold cup world cup qualifiers some friendlies and my coach wasn't entirely happy about that and and in fairness to him too I, I didn't think I was as sharp for the club my club team as I was for the national team so I'm just kind of giving you this as a preface so I get named as the MLS defender of the year obviously a huge honor and it speaks to the guys around me of course so you don't win individual awards by yourself and uh he pulls me aside after he gets named we're, we're in the you know I worked really hard you know to get to this point to be even considered and he pulls me aside and he goes yeah, I think you only deserve that award for sixty percent of the year,
2: oh,
3: and, and then and then he gives so the team. Mean. Then he gives the team defender of the year award to another player on my team. Like I don't even win the team defender of the year award. Oh. So so I go home and I'm, I don't really know what to do. What do you do? I don't I don't. How do you supposed to receive and absorb that information? <laughs> so I go home and I just start crying. I, you know, I don't I don't, I don't know who to talk to. Like, what do you?
2: Yeah. Like, Like, you can't tell a teammate because your teammate's going to be like, shut up.
3: Right. So it was a really, really weird time, and it it, it really soured the satisfaction that I could derive from winning that award. Did he a fire
1: under
3: you? uh, Maybe. I think he wanted me to probably not settle, right, because I was on the cusp of maybe making the World Cup team in 2006, which was, you know, the team was going to be named four or five months later. So I'm sure it was that, and his name is Bob Gansler, and I love him to pieces. And he, that he, he whether he wanted to or not, he forced me to have thick skin. Like I had mm-hmm. to have thicker skin. I had to learn how to deal with that, and yeah. and it did help, even though it it really hurt me at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, so without getting too emotional about, yeah, it, I'm sorry was, for bringing it up. I was heartbroken. <laughs> that was that was the hardest thing. Yeah. Now I will say on the flip side, Ziggy Schmidt was my coach at UCLA, and I walked on at UCLA. So and i and when after we won the national championship i didn't start when the when the playoffs started i was kind of in and out of the lineup i transferred in as a junior i'll save you that long story there but ultimately as a walk on this isn't where a coach is looking for you you come to him right so a lot of his love and attention in fairness i'm sure he promised these types of things to these players and their parents when he's recruiting them but a lot of love and the attention to developing these guys went to from from him went to those guys and for me i just was like all right i'm at one of the best colleges for soccer in the country. I'm just going to get better. I'm going to naturally get better because I'm surrounded by better players. But I remember going and, and they said I could come in. And uh, this is like my first my junior year. And I was going to go. One of my, one of my high school, let, let me fill in the gap. One of my high school teammates got recruited and he was there. And he said, hey, man, just come. We're going to do the, the physicals, the team physicals, as you guys know, right? So we do the team physicals before you're allowed to play. Everybody kind of checks your health and kind of see where you're at, base level, baseline stuff. So I went with him because I didn't know what to do. I had played two years at San Diego State, so I had Division one experience. It wasn't like I was some chump that was just trying to try out. Like I come in with a little bit of cachet, And as I walk in there, the, the the coaches, and it wasn't Ziggy, but one of the assistant coaches like, yeah, you can't be here. And so I didn't, I felt super stupid, okay? And, and I went and sat in Pauley Pavilion, very famous thing where all the UCLA Bruin basketball teams. Are. And I sat there by myself for three hours, waiting for my guy to go through his thing and feeling like, the dumbest, like, what am I doing here? But I, I, I carpooled with this guy. So it's not like I can leave. And there, this is before phones, So I'm just I'm just sitting there by myself in this empty stadium going, what am I doing? I, 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 this is, I don't want to look at anybody in the eye at this point. I don't want to get introduced to anybody. I just want, when it's time for me to be able to prove myself, that's what I want to do. So fast forward to that, okay? So that's where my whole UCLA career started and feeling really dumb. And we win the national championship five minutes into the first – first playoff game the guy that starts in front of me tears his knee I come in and I know that I can play with a complete confidence because he's got nobody on the bench that is as good as I am so he has to stick with me we only give up one goal and we end up winning it, winning the title and then then I'm like I didn't get drafted and all that stuff but before all that draft stuff Ziggy Schmidt gets up on the podium and we have our team banquet at the end and he says that I'm gonna get emotional he says that uh that I am the epitome of what he, he considers a UCLA soccer player So to go from that and to go to, like, not, you know, to to become this well-rounded and and prove myself and to deal with adversity and to never be his guy, for him to say that, of all the seniors, he didn't say that about any other player but me, uh, it still means a lot to me. And so, you know, unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago, but... But, uh, yeah, so that's what I would say to that. I'm going to stop there. That is incredible. incredible. From
1: the starting, your start first experience with the UCLA program and to then to end it like that, that's, that says a lot about just the program, your experience, and what you must have meant to it, too. So that's,
3: that's Yeah, awesome. it's crazy. Yeah. It's
2: wonderful. I feel
0: like that's like the movie Rudy, but better. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, like, parts of my story that are interesting, and sometimes when I'm talking about it, I'm, like, talking about somebody else. But, but yeah, I lived it, and, and – you know, really talks about what I said before. There are no shortcuts. Not everything's going to go your way. But if you really want it and you put yourself out there, it's it's there for anybody yeah. to, to make oh, it Jimmy, are you going to write a book someday? Uh, I, I probably should. I don't know. So I feel like I've put myself uh, out there in so many different ways. <laughs> you need
2: to. You need to. I don't to. know. Maybe.
3: Maybe. Maybe one day. I I
2: mean, at least
0: if you never want to print it, then you can give it to your daughters, you know? That's yeah. true. I think they're tired of me at this point. So, well,
2: speaking of Jimmy... <laughs> Jamie, speaking of, we have a Lady Ballers Guide to Life book that's coming out, or it's out, yes. na- it's out now for pre-sale, and we're ju- we're gonna start promoting it. But we really think your daughters would love it. Like yeah. we have to yeah. send you guys a copy or something.
3: No, well, I don't want you to send me a copy. I'll buy it because I want to support you. Oh, Jamie, no, Jimmy.
0: It's
3: no um, not, not allowed.
1: <laughs> maybe for your thirteen-year-old, not your nine-year-old.
3: Okay,
2: okay, yeah, <laughs> but it basically <laughs> like will prepare them. And it's all the advice that we wish we we could have had when we were growing up playing Amazing. soccer. I and love it's, that. yeah, yeah and that's it, a great idea. They might really like it.
0: All right, um, last rapid fire. Um, who's your favorite soccer props?
3: <laughs> soccer props? Soccer girl props. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh wow, wow. This is putting me on the spot. <laughs> no, don't answer it. Don't answer it you have to see, nobody can, nobody can see you guys right now but you're all like trying to dance to, to win my approval um,
2: is the dancing um, working <laughs> <laughs> Does
3: it work? no i don't know i mean i appreciate the effort so that, that is, i mean they're all doing it right now everybody's got their own style shannon do the I backpack can't. kid i'm gonna play the fifth I apologize.
2: <laughs> we're sorry for putting you in that position no it's all good it's oh all my great. gosh other,
0: yeah you can't see but he did math shannon but anyway
2: no okay. he
3: didn't Ah, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming on jimmy well oh, thank you for having me it was it was fun i always enjoy uh, spending time with yeah. you
2: guys. we thought we knew so much about you but like speaking to you and hearing your personal stories like that's why we love podcasting because you just hear all the stuff that people don't always say to everyone you know and in, on yeah. interviews and stuff so I don't know. I think it made us closer. We're best we're best friends, right? I know. Make yes. a out. You guys are my best. Nope, no, she's out <laughs>